All right, we're joined today by Nathan James, founder of Boardroom Socks. Nathan, welcome to the Buttoned Up Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Brock. Appreciate you having me here. This is actually my first podcast, so I'm excited to dive in with you. Very nice. Well, for those who don't know anything about you, can you just tell us like where you're from and what you were doing before you got into the sock business? Yeah. So again, my name is Nathan James, and I'm the president of Boardroom Socks. And I was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina, about an hour and a half north from where I'm at right now uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's kind of interesting how I fell into the sock business because it's definitely not what I set out to do from the beginning. It's really just been a family thing, tracing way back. I'm actually the seventh generation of my family to be in the textiles business. And that's part of kind of the motivation behind why I wanted to get into the business, just to carry on the the family family legacy, so to speak. But prior to to jumping into this, I was in something completely unrelated. I was in commercial insurance and alternative financing for small businesses. And that's what I studied in school. And in, in terms of getting into this business, my parents started it really in 2010. And it was more of a side project hobby kind of thing and it just grew from there and we really discovered that we were filling a a void and a niche in the marketplace and uh, particularly as a lot of american manufacturers of dress socks and men's socks in general were going bankrupt going out of business shutting down moving overseas Uh, that niche just kind of became more and more apparent for us and after my parents started the business i started getting involved Um, in addition to my day job. And it just, like I said, it kind of took off. And then I eventually, a couple years ago, decided to commit to just jumping in full time. Nice. And so if you're the seventh generation in textiles, what were the prior six generations doing? What kind of things were they making? Yeah. So really everybody in the family has been doing a little bit of everything. Um, On our website, you can actually see a photo taken in 1837, which for context is pretty neat because uh, as far as my understanding goes, photography was invented just briefly before that. So this is a a very early photograph, but it's on our website and it shows the grand opening of my great, 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 you know, whoever, I don't even know who it is, but great, great somebody uh, opening the family's first fabric mill in Alamance County. And at that facility, they made a lot of plaid fabrics and um, some of the first dyed fabrics that were made in the southeastern U.S. So that was kind of the the origins. And then fast forwarding to all the subsequent generations kind of in between, a lot of the family's expertise ended up in uh, brokerage instead of actual manufacturing. So in terms of brokerage, what they would do is they would sit down with the actual brand and the manufacturer. So if you wanted to make some sort of garment, let's say sweaters, our relatives would sit down with the sweater brand and the sweater manufacturer. And the three of them would put their heads together and say, okay, this is what we want the sweater to feel like. This is what we want the texture, the color. And then our relatives would source the fibers and the yarns to go into those uh, garments and supply the the raw material. So basically, being a middleman 
of supplying yarn and raw materials. And that's what my grandfather and my father fell into. And by doing that and by acting as a broker, you learn really the whole business. And their niche ended up becoming hosiery, where the brands and the designers and the manufacturers that they predominantly worked with were in the hosiery business. So through that, they gained access to some of the best hosiery manufacturers, designers, they knew where to get the raw materials, all of that. And then that's how we came up with this brand is really just a natural vertical consolidation of some of that. Got it. Cool. And so when you first started your career, though, you you went into finance and, and insurance, so you weren't necessarily interested in in carrying the torch right away. No, not at, not at first. I mean, I'd always wanted to join the family business and I've always been pretty entrepreneurial and wanted to work for myself. I think particularly when I graduated school and I was going to school was not too far removed from a lot of the economic downturn of the Great Recession and really on the heels of all the offshoring and all the trends of moving things over to Asia and other parts of the world for just manufacturing cost reduction. So there's really been a lot of turmoil in the textile and um, apparel manufacturing industry in this country. And I think that turmoil, there was a lot of uncertainty as to to what would happen. And I think that led to my parents kind of guiding me to, to go off and do some other things. And fortunately, I think some of it has stabilized a little bit, particularly in our specific niche. So that made it a little bit easier of a decision to to join the business. But yeah, certainly not what I would have thought I was doing if you rewinded things five or 10 years ago, selling socks. It's uh, you know kind of an interesting thing to fall into, but I, I love what I do and it's, it's a lot of fun working with my family. So why socks? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. Um, I think it just, it all falls back to what our family has kind of gone into as our niche um, in terms of manufacturing and raw material sourcing experience, all of that experience and expertise really developed around socks. So I mentioned my father and my grandfather selling yarn and working with those apparel manufacturers and designers and it more and more the niche that they went into became hosiery and socks. So just through their expertise and, you know, that's what I always kind of grew up around too, um, visiting my dad's office and a lot of the stuff that, that he worked on his big customers projects it was all really around socks. So that's kind of where the, the family fell into. And the, the name boardroom socks, uh, you know, to me, it sounds like it's the brand is definitely geared toward like professionals. Would you say that during your time working in corporate America and insurance and finance, did you see a void? Were you having trouble finding a good dress sock? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's, that's part of what prompted this business is I think in terms of the overall trend and fads within men's hosiery, Things have gotten pretty wild and eccentric over the past five or 10 years. You know, you could see socks with all sorts of crazy colors and designs. And I don't think a lot of people are focusing on the core, classic, traditional businessman sock. And that's what we wanted to provide. You're, you're spot on with, with the name. And that's exactly what the name implies is boardroom socks. You know, these are the majority of the socks. Now, we do have some that are a little bit more colorful and a little bit more fun. 
but the majority of our offerings are really tailored for the boardroom and the traditional businessman and the sock that you could wear you know, business casual, but business professional, you could wear it in, in just about any business setting. Um, and I think a lot of manufacturers and brands over the past five or 10 years have really neglected that to pursue some of the more trendy and eccentric socks that are out there in the market. So I think us sticking to that core, you know, black, blue, and gray, which is the majority of what we sell, which you know may seem a little boring, but if you open your sock drawer, you probably have more black, blue, and gray in it than you do pink and other kind of wild eccentric socks. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very much on board with uh with your guys' mission to kind of focus on the the classic as timeless as possible because right. I think I think the trend toward your bold kind of wacky novelty socks and especially with uh, a lot of companies offering subscriptions where they're kind of just overloading your sock drawer with with these crazy socks that aren't necessarily the highest quality. I'll be glad to see that trend kind of die off. <laughs> yeah, and we've working with some of our retail partners, we've started to, you know, those guys are definitely on the forefront of trends. Some of the independent retailers that we work with, you know, they travel all over the world visiting with different markets and different manufacturers. And they're very much in tune with the trends and the comings and goings of men's fashion. And what we've heard from some of our customers, some of our retail partners, it, it definitely seems like that trend is starting to subside a little bit. And they're starting to see a turning point where that flashy, trendy sock is not as prevalent as it used to be. Um, and I think for us, I'm excited to see what that brings because, you know, our core business is much more in tune with that, that conservative, traditional, timeless, I guess you could say, socks. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues to change over the next you know, handful of years. Now, you, you talked about a lot of uh, companies who are making hosiery socks in the U.S. have had trouble recently, but you made the decision to make your products in the U.S. So how did you come to that decision? And is it harder to run a profitable business making stuff in the U.S.? Uh, well... To the second part of that question, it's absolutely unbelievable to me how some things are made overseas, the cost uh, it, it, which and the price point at which it's made. Um, and I think a lot of that is in part, and not to get political or anything, but I think there's a lot of, um, in certain countries around the world, instances where the governments are subsidizing some of the manufacturers and um, one of our partners was visiting a manufacturer overseas, and he was pretty much told that he received a government-funded loan uh, that was interest-free for an extended period of time uh, for millions and millions of dollars to build a factory and finance all the equipment, all interest-free. And, you know, things like that, it's very hard to compete against. So when I have been in situations where I've tried to to work out a deal with somebody, say, for a large volume of socks and and they tell me what they're currently paying and where they're getting it from. It's pretty amazing how the dichotomy there. So it, it certainly is harder doing things here, but I think our brand identity and and just our values personally, not to say that doing it one way or the other is right or wrong, but I think just us and the brand identity that we've developed and the way that we feel is we want everything to be made here and we want everything to be made locally. And a lot of that is where we're located. So we're in North Carolina and North Carolina has for generations and generations been a hotbed of textile and apparel manufacturing in the United States. And 
that's just how our family's all grown up is is in that industry and we want to support the the local economy here in North Carolina and we're a small business but we still want to do our part to keep some of these mills running and all the folks that we work with are all family businesses just like us some of them are second third fourth so on and so forth generation and I just, for me personally, especially coming out of a big, I was working at a big Fortune 50 company and you know, corporate America, it can be a little impersonal. And I think, especially for me, transitioning into this business environment where everybody that we're working with is a family business just like us, that's a lot more, I guess, intrinsically rewarding and gratifying as opposed to just doing business with somebody over the phone and not really being able to see the jobs and the lives that you're impacting and, and touching locally. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of the way that we've always approached thing is really supporting our, our local economy and in, in North Carolina as a whole. And if you look at our logo, you know, that's the outline of the state of North Carolina. So that's a big part of, again, our brand identity is keeping things local here. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And when you first started, how did you even get the word out about the brand? How did you how did you get customers before anybody knew about you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's still one of the biggest challenges is being a small business is just getting the word out because, you know, we don't have the, the marketing budget of a large company because we're just a small company. And that's one of the restrictions that we have is, is a small business budget. I think what has helped us grow and especially what's helped us at first is after getting kind of some initial customers and just word of mouth spreading things around, I think people really appreciate the value that we offer. And I always like to talk about value in the sense that we offer a very high quality product with premium materials. It's made here in the U.S., but we still are pretty competitively priced for our market. And I think people, once they find the value that we offer, it brings them back and we've earned their business and we continue to earn their business over time. So I think that's helped and, you know, word of mouth amongst friends and family and things like that. So I think that is what helped us kind of get off the ground, but that's definitely the, the challenge is as a small business, getting the word out and competing against some of the big guys. Right. Yeah. Cause if, you know, if you look at a Facebook ad or something, you're, you're bidding against me undies and, and these other brands that are okay with maybe losing money on the first transaction. Well, and that that's part of what's interesting is there definitely have been over the past handful of years, some big players that have come into this. They've gotten a lot of venture money and they've gotten a lot of outside money and going in and seeing some of the analytics, I mean, e-commerce in general is just fascinating. Some of the stuff that you can find and see, and you can get a rough idea of what somebody's paying by looking in Google ads and some of these other tools, you can kind of see where you fall in the competitive landscape. And with enough context, you can kind of deduce what somebody's paying and how things are working out. And it's, it's amazing the amount of money that some of these brands are spending and how they do it. I don't know. Um, I think it's just a lot of venture money and they've got pretty aggressive marketing budgets that are supported by that. But in terms of the long-term viability of that, I, I don't know. Um, I think you're starting to see some of that come full circle with WeWork and some of the other things that are going on and just bigger picture with some of these tech investments. And, you know, if any of that will come to full circle and fruition in consumer packaged goods, I, I would assume it would, but, you know, 
who knows? It, but it is interesting, and it does as a small business. It certainly makes it challenging for us, but that's all. That's all part of it. I mean, the internet in general has really transformed things so much. It's so interesting. The barriers to entry are so much lower to to getting a product out in front of people than what it used to be. So right. you know, there are always more competitors out there, and that's just part of the challenge. And it just makes us have to focus on you know what makes us unique, what's our competitive advantage, what's the value that we bring to consumers, and how can we continue to refine that and reiterate that message? Yeah. And when it comes to quality, it seems like, especially with something relatively simple, like a sock, there's, you know, one of the most important aspects is the material that you start with and then the craftsmanship. And so inside of the materials you have, customers are used to hearing these words like Merino wool or Pima cotton. And I think a lot of the times people don't even really know what that stuff is, but if you don't hear it, if you don't see it on the product page, um, it's kind of like this quality indicator, even if you don't know why. So first of all, what is, in your opinion, the best material for a dress sock and why? It's interesting. I had a conversation with a customer about this uh, exact same topic earlier this afternoon. And I think there's there's a really a preconceived notion about merino wool. And I think a lot of people think merino wool is hot, it's itchy, and it's an uncomfortable fiber. But in my opinion, and I would argue in a lot of other people's opinion as well, merino wool is the best fiber that you can have in socks. And the reason why is because merino wool breathes and merino wool will pull moisture and sweat and perspiration and, and heat away from your body, whereas cotton absorbs a lot of moisture. And if you wear a pair of cotton socks around all day, a lot of times your feet get cold and damp and just uncomfortable because the cotton is just absorbing all of that and it's not moving it away from your body. Whereas wool, which again, most people think of as hot and uncomfortable, it's, it's the exact opposite. It's actually pulling that moisture away from your skin and keeping you comfortable. So really, even in warm and in cool weather, I think merino wool is the best fiber in terms of socks because it it retains that and helps you manage the moisture and, and the temperature and, and really odor as well. There are a lot of interesting um, properties with merino wool that, you know, naturally, and I think a lot of it is not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I think a lot of it is if you look at the environment of where merino sheep live, it's a very interesting climate in parts of New Zealand where you can have dramatic temperature fluctuations. And if you think about how that animal has to be suited to survive in that environment, it starts to make a lot of sense as to why that would make them good to put into apparel. But the short answer is, I think the best sock that you can wear is a merino wool over the calf sock. That's what I wear every day. And that's certainly our most popular style that we sell. Over the calf just because it stays up all day. Yeah, it stays up all day. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening probably have not tried over the calf socks before. I would highly recommend it. I used to think it's going to be a little uncomfortable. You're going to feel a little weird the first time you put them on because they are going to go all the way up to your knee. Mm-hmm. But once you get over that mentally, they're very comfortable and they will stay up all day. And it's it's pretty amazing to actually have that happen because you know you're not sitting there constantly pulling your socks up all day. So it's very comfortable. I agree that a wool sock is the best. And uh, I think people don't realize how versatile wool is, that it's not just for for winter. 
I even have a couple of wool t-shirts that I use as workout shirts and it's amazing how they just don't, uh, they don't hold any odor. Right. You know, you can, you can kind of let them hang for, for a day and they're almost ready to wear again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing fiber. It's, it's really neat. It's interesting. Just those are the natural properties of it. Like you think of all of the modern technical fibers that are man-made and, and all of the, the chemicals and the science and what have you that's been put into some of, particularly with workout gear, what you're talking about, some of these modern fibers, whereas something like merino wool is natural and it's more expensive because the finite supply and the labor that goes into producing merino wool, but it's a natural way of doing what a lot of those chemicals do. So it is pretty interesting. We're also seeing a lot of so-called bamboo socks on the market now, which is, you know, rayon. Um, so I, I guess it is, you know, derived from something natural, but it's not, I think when people hear bamboo socks, they picture like bamboo being, you know, cut into strips and used to make socks, which is obviously right. it's a more, it's a more involved process. So what, what are your thoughts on bamboo as a material? You know, um, I, I haven't put a lot of thought and effort into that. We've just focused so much on, on Pima cotton, Merino wool, that I don't, I don't even know if I could venture, a, an intelligent opinion around that. I think there are some interesting things being done. I know one thing um, slightly different, but one thing that my dad was actually involved in was recycled plastic, where he was working with a customer that would take Coke bottles and all sorts of other consumer packaged goods and recycled plastic, and they would chip it up, they would shred it, and then they would melt it down and turn it into a yarn um, and that would be used to make all sorts of uh, apparel. And I'm not sure if they made socks or not, but like T-shirts and things like that, that's actually recycled plastic. But you, know, you would never know that looking at it and feeling it. It feels like just any other type of soft, supple textile. But uh, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, as consumers get more and more environmentally conscious, I would expect trends like that to to continue to heat up. But in general, I think people try to put a lot of spin on things and you'll see people try to make a lot of claims about some of these man-made materials, why they're better and all that sort of stuff. But I think part of what's forcing some brands to pursue that is the cost of natural materials has gone up significantly, like cotton and wool is much more expensive and the price has been going up significantly because of increased demand coming out of Asia and Australia, the climate. They've had some issues over the past couple of years. And now with the fires, I, I don't even know what kind of impact that's going to have on wool production. Um, but things like that have really put price pressures on producers of natural fibers. And so I think when that happens, you know, producers are looking for other ways to, to kind of try and tackle things more affordably. So I think that's probably part of what's driving some of the talk behind some of those other fibers. And w within cotton, similar to merino wool, Pima cotton is the cotton that you want to see in, in your socks. So what is Pima cotton and why is it so special? Yeah. So a lot of that has to do with the length of the actual fiber itself. So the longer the fibers are within cotton, the more in, in really any material, the longer the fibers are, the softer it's going to be, the stronger it's going to be, the more resistant it will be to abrasion. So the cotton that we actually use is called Supima. 
So S-U-P-I-M-A, and that's a combination of Superior and Pima. And so Sapima is really a brand name to refer to a specific type of American-grown cotton. And this is cotton that's grown in uh, southwestern, I believe it's southwestern California and parts of New Mexico and Texas. But it's an American-grown type of cotton that is, again, extra long staples. So the, the fibers itself are longer and that makes them softer, more resistant to abrasion and pilling and breaking, tearing, anything like that. It actually makes them more receptive to being dyed. So in a lot of instances, they'll be a more vibrant, brighter color. They'll hold up long, longer in terms of being laundered and, and staying color fast. So there are a lot of benefits to that versus just a regular traditional cotton, I guess you could say, that would not be Pima. So, I mean, there's varying degrees of Pima in and of itself, but it all really comes back to the type of fiber and the longer the fibers are, the higher quality uh, you're going to have. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the education. Those are questions that I always have when I'm looking at product pages, because you hear these terms, you start to take them for granted a little bit, and sometimes you just don't even know what they mean. So that's helpful. We have a, uh, a series of rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, that you haven't prepared for, but that we'd like to run you through. <laughs> One or two word answers real quick. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Loafers or sneakers? Loafers. Spring, summer, or fall, winter? Fall. Morning or evening shower? Morning. Jeans, chinos, or trousers? Jeans. Nice. Uh, favorite James Bond, if you have one? Oh, man. Uh, the one where they're underwater. Uh, I think Thunderball, I think. Thunderball. It's it's the one where there there's the big underwater fight scene, whichever one that is. I always love that one. I think it's Thunderball. Who was that? Was that Connery? I can't remember who the actual actor was, but I guess if you're going to go actor, I mean, I I like Daniel Craig a lot. I know there's been some drama around him over the past couple of years, but I I really I think he's a pretty good Bond. But in terms of Bond movies, it's got to be Thunderball or whichever one where they've got that underwater fight scene. I don't remember. All right, cool. Well, John, John's the uh, expert, but I'll have to look it up after we're done. <laughs> All right. Um, Navy or charcoal for your suits? Uh, charcoal. Charcoal. All right. Lifting or cardio? Cardio. All right. And then what's the last book you read? The last really good one I read was I reread The Stand by Stephen King, the complete and unabridged one. You got to get the longer one. That's a great book. That's always been my favorite book. And I just recently reread that. Nice. I love rereading or or listening to a book that I have already read and just kind of all those little details that you forget. I actually just listened to, um, or I just read the latest, one of Stephen King's latest books called The Institute. I hadn't read any of his books in so long and they're just, they're so good. Yeah, they are. I'm sure he would be an interesting guy to have a beer with, that's for sure. I'd be a little nervous too, but. <laughs> totally, yeah. Cool, well, yeah, you've, you've made it through uh, our rapid fire um, and just to kind of wrap things up, what, what are you what are you really excited about over the next, say, six to 12 months uh, for Boardroom Socks? Yeah, I'm really excited. We have a new product line that we're going to be working on that's going to be a little bit more casual boot sock, I guess you could say, would be the best way to describe it. Um, so we've been doing a lot, of, a lot of work on designing that and working on colors and patterns. And that's all going to be made here in North Carolina should be available this fall. So I'm very excited to see what we do with that. Nice. And will that be a crew length or over the calf? 
I'm working on figuring that out as well. Uh, it's either going to be over the calf or maybe between crew and over the calf, um, somewhere in there. So, yeah, that's that's going to be exciting. We've got a lot of work to do before we're ready to roll with that, but we're, we're really looking forward to that. Nice. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, and hopefully it'll be ready before the next boot season. Yeah, that's that's the goal. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, we're excited to uh, just keep an eye on that. And uh, everybody listening, you can go check out boardroomsocks.com. And, yeah, thanks, Nathan, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.